Hi, everybody. I'm Neil Melanson. Welcome to the Twilight After Show podcast. We have a full house here today. How many microphones, Carl? All six inputs that all are available on our recorder. Inputs. They're all being used. Host Avery Davidson, Kristen Oaks-White, Carl Wiggers, our producer, Brian Hendrickson, and Chandler Hegwood. Chandler is our intern here. Chandler, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Thank good. you. <laughs> Chandler, can we can we real quick just talk about Chandler and yeah. how he's the best You've dressed with us daily? How long now? Three months? Four yeah, months? Probably probably three months now. Started at the end of February. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's always the best dressed because he normally he goes is. from here to the state capitol. And soon he's going to be going to another office, state office. Uh, he's been working with a senator down at the state capitol. But uh, tell us the, the good news there, Chandler. So uh, last week, I, I've been looking for a full-time job at the state capitol. Uh, so soon I will be working in the treasurer's office with John Schroeder for a few months. And then some speculate he may run for governor in Louisiana and if he does, I will. Um, uh, I'll probably transition over to that. So. Nice, awesome, very good. Congratulations! I remember you Thank applied you. for that. But I didn't hadn't heard the good news. So awesome! Yeah. Congratulations, Thank you. Thank you. Chandler's. Uh, you got a political science degree, right? Uh, political communications. Political communications. Yes. So he's overqualified for some of our uh, <laughs> some of our communications that we do. He's he and Avery can really nerd out on some of the uh, political. Uh, speculation that happens from time to time in this office and with election years coming up we're Mm -hmm. definitely it's running amok but uh chandler as kind of your double duty with both public relations and communications as well as the political end you've been hanging out with joe mapes our lobbyist a lot yeah i've been spending a lot of time with joe and sandy on the capitol just kind of following them around shadowing them just see see what they do day in and day out as lobbyists on the capitol and how they um promote ag policy at the Capitol and that can better our Farm Bureau members. And did you think that you're going to be working on a TV show as well? Uh, especially <laughs> archiving years and years and years of that TV show? Uh, no, definitely not. But <laughs> uh, I've seen a lot of interesting stuff throughout all the archiving. A lot of very old Farm Bureau memorabilia, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. But it's it's been interesting. I've but there's a I, lot of have, political yeah, stuff in there. Exactly. Too, Old there? legislative reports, you know, yeah. people who going through the 80s newspapers and still seeing some of those names who are at the Capitol today. So, yeah, <laughs> you've been seeing Francis Thompson in there since 1973 or 74. <laughs> mm. Unreal. Yeah. Zero's born. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things also, Chandler, you, you mentioned this and we're skipping ahead a little bit, but you're talking about all this archiving and you've seen. Probably old, uh, he's brought to me some of these old newspaper ads that we did about Twyla mm-hmm. from the 80s and 90s saying, hey, we're on a few stations. Check us out on these times and uh, radio reports and things like that. So it's been pretty neat for me to see what he's dug up in that archiving project. Uh, just thinking about, you know, the 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 years we did last year, we celebrated 40 years of Twyla mm-hmm. and then just seeing where that was. 35 years ago, 30 years ago, or 15 years ago even. How few affiliates we had back then, how few outlets, and how you actually had to wake up at 5.30 in the morning to see it. No DVR. I mean, maybe you could set your VHS VCR to record it. Unless you were Betamax, I don't know if those were uh, yeah, they were programmable. Back in the, when we started, that was that was high technology. Back then. <laughs> Beta. It's 
come a long ways. Yeah. Come a long ways. But anyways, Chandler, we're glad you're here. We're glad you, the work you're doing matters. I know well, it's, it's it's good to be part of the team. Just glad I can contribute some way. Sure. Absolutely, We'd be glad to have you. Um, right now, when we're recording this, we're between Memorial Day and next week, June sixth, is the seventy eighth anniversary of D Day, the invasion of Normandy. And so I've been wanting to do this story for quite a while. I went out to Camp Claiborne in uh, near uh, Longleaf, Louisiana, just south of Alexandria, and. Uh, there was the inception of the 101st Airborne, who went in the night before D-Day, and uh, it's a famously, you know, it was a uh, not a bungled landing, but it was it was there was a lot of errors and stuff like that. They still got together and did a lot of their mission and sabotage and things that they needed to. But their training began at Camp Claiborne. There, the 82nd Airborne and 101st were both received their basic training. The most fascinating thing about this is you go out there, you drive down that road, it is wooded, it is, there's, I mean, there's not a lot to see when you walk, there's a a sign and a memorial plaque nearby, but it is all woods, and right there was a city that held 50,000 soldiers at a time, as well as all of their civilian support staff, buildings, training halls, the headquarters of the 82nd and 101st there. It sprang up overnight in 1940, and by 1945, it was gone. Wow. And now, to these days, there's a, there's a, you know, to this day, there's, I mean, uh, all of that area. It was part of the U.S. Forest Service and then went back to them. And so, you know, they preserve that area, and they've got markers and memorials out there to them, but... I mean, it is, it's gone. <laughs> I've driven it's down that, that way, and you yeah. asked me earlier uh, if I've ever seen the entrance or seen those memorials and stuff. And right. I'm like, no, but I've seen beautiful, I mean, it's some beautiful forest yeah. land through there. But I would have never, you know, picturing that yeah. as a, a small city, you know, it's it's in one of the most rural parts, I think, of Louisiana, of Louisiana mm-hmm. that area. So thinking of a little, you know, like you said, a 50,000 person city there that had all that. Right. I mean, you remember you were telling me about the bus stop and they would catch the bus stop from there to Alexandria yeah. to go into the city right. on the weekends. And there's pictures there. Uh, big credit to the Southern Heritage uh, Forests Museum, which is not far from there, about a couple miles uh, south of there in the town of Longleaf. And uh, uh, Douglas Rhodes, who wrote this book that, you know, is about that time, is the executive director of the museum. And they've done a great job of preservation work and uh, that kind of thing. But at that bus stop there, I mean, every weekend, soldiers were lined up there with their weekend pass. They wanted to go in. It was a bustling, you know, area. And it's quiet there's bird songs there's i mean the cars are driving down 165 but i mean there is no sign of any of that anymore it is all overgrown and the the you'll hear it in the story but the amazing thing to me was um sergeant dick york who is the most decorated combat veteran of world war one came and addressed the 82nd airborne because he was a member of that back in world war one and and a member of the same unit that became the 82nd and was there addressing the crowd, right? And there was, I mean, there's a picture of it, and there's there's thousands upon thousands of soldiers. And you can go and you can stand on that spot where he was, and there are trees. Wow. <laughs> it is gone. Thousands of soldiers were replaced with thousands of trees. Yep. That's amazing. That's yep. wild. So uh, someone maybe could 
see this and and think of like, oh, what's well, this have to do with agriculture? And it's got everything to do with agriculture. One of our largest commodities in the state mm-hmm. is forestry. Right. And they took they took land out of forestry and they put it right back into forestry mm-hmm. for the training that. That yes. was necessary. That's pretty cool. And this day, I also talked to um, uh, the Calcasieu District uh, Ranger there. He's You'll see him in the story. Um, and one of the things that he talks about is the restoration of Longleaf Pine, mm-hmm. which, of course, that area is named after. But Loblolly came in and, you know, they planted a lot of that for commercial production, but things have shifted over the years. So replanting that, expanding the area for wildlife and and habitat restoration and preservation is there but also wildfire prevention is a really big thing that they do and it's a really important critical issue for a hundred thousand landowners across the state who all have forest area and and that sort of thing and so um prescribed burning all that stuff i'm going to go back out there and, and do a story on that that because louisiana does an amazing job of preventing wildfires. I mean, mm-hmm. we only have a few hundred acres burn each year, which which is a lot, I mean, no doubt, but compared to California and New Mexico, where, you know, such a huge percentage of their land area is on fire every year, yeah. it's going on right now. There's 310,000 acres on fire in New Mexico. And we, we have great cooperation here in the we state do. between the Forest Service, the Department of Ag and Forestry, and also the military. I mean, whenever we went out to Fort Polk, Gosh, that's more than 12 years ago. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but, yeah, they were showing us how at Fort Polk they go through all the process of managing all the right. the underbrush. Yes. Making sure that is all gone, taking away all that fuel that could spark a truly out-of-control wildfire. Right. And, uh, I mean, that's what they're doing. They're managing the land there. And uh, I guess that's what folks don't think about is – when you drive past all these trees, it's not just a bunch of trees. It's managed land. That's it's right. people are taking care of that. One thing. So you mentioned Fort Polk, Fort Polk, and how is this? How far is this from that? Because whenever I think of that area, I think of Fort Polk. Yes, Camp Claiborne's east of there. So okay, it's it's a couple parishes away. Okay, um, so they weren't like connected even back then, or I don't know. I don't even know they the were, I mean, they were connected in terms of training. There were there were people at at uh, Fort. They would Polk go to Camp they, Claiborne right, and train. Exactly. Gotcha. It was a back and forth sort of thing, but um, uh, one of the roads, like if you go down that road the main road, you'll see there's a road parallel to that. And that's the old road. And that's one of the few things there. You can see it in the pictures from that time. But that was the amazing thing to me was I was walking on the same ground that these guys were walking on the same exact road. And I mean, they didn't know what was coming at that time. I mean, we know, we know the ending of the story, but they didn't know they were going into the unknown. And, you know, part of this training, I will say the 101st did finish their airborne portion of the training later on, but they got their training. The initial program to parachute was from the forest service because they were the ones who were parachuting in, into areas to control fires. They would come in, they would train to parachute, land in areas and and make uh, fire berms and and do controlled fires to prevent the spread of wildfires they learned how to do mm-hmm. that years and you know prior to that and they're the ones who trained the parachutists who eventually went into normandy see this is what i think we need to do with twyla we need to make neil melanson just the history reporter because <laughs> anytime he gets a history story like this he's like 
dude, I'm all into this. And, and for the last four years, I feel like I've heard about this connection that Neil's been trying to to orchestrate, getting the store together. And it's been prior to the pandemic. Yeah, sure. and usually with convention, it's kind of hard to make that yeah. happen because we're usually all hands on deck. And finally, this year, he's able to get it done. And, and yeah, you're right. He lights up and he turn, shifts into another gear when he starts getting that history. <laughs> Even working on convention related mm-hmm. stuff as we're celebrating the centennial, Neil's been just like, "Oh my gosh, I found this and mm-hmm. from the '40s," and it's like, "Okay, yeah. Neil." <laughs> but all right. Yeah. Well, speaking of shifting gears, then let's shift on to Brianne's story. She, uh, you got to do what you love to do, which is cover rodeo stuff. And I, and Bronx is that what you went into this week? A little, a little Bronx. Um, they did have the one individual girl, girl power right there, uh, does goat tying. Um, but Carl actually went with me. I, I did not ride any animals. I tried. Shocker. I tried. Now, next time that we go, you never know. Mm-hmm. You I, never thought you know. Would, I thought you were going to you know, go all PBR on I'm, us I'm and not hop gonna on lie. a bull and just let that sucker buck. He you know, hop on chicken on a chain. In I thought you ride signing. chicken on a chain. <laughs> he has the rodeo itch. Uh, I'm just, <laughs> I gave I'm going to be real. I'm gonna be real. How's that for some good grammar? Mm-hmm. It's it's a thing. I was I was telling Bria, I was like, okay, maybe I get how it's so addictive and and whatnot. But the story, so the story is the national collegiate national finals. Yes. Did I say that right? Collegiate. Okay. Tell us tell us about why we're doing a story on it though. So, a little background. I college rodeoed. Um. So my passion for that is very strong. But coming to Louisiana found out that you guys only have one true college rodeo team um, and that's at McNeese so that was that was very interesting to me going from a region that has several and they for the past 15 20 years have had people qualify every year for this so um, they're sending their men's team which has six uh guys going and they all do rough stock so saddle bronc bareback bull riding like they are the the fun the fun ones to me like that's what whenever i think of rodeo that's what i think of is you know the ones riding i don't i don't sorry for anyone that barrel races or ropes or anything but well they're riding something well they're riding but the, the bucking the bucking horses and bulls like that's what I think of. You know what I, I want to know about is you had talked briefly about the culture. There's a culture around this stuff and, and the, the way these kids act and behave. Tell me about that. I, once again, Louisiana, y'all, different culture, obviously. <laughs> but when I stepped back into that rodeo arena, it was, it was, it felt like home. And this team, I don't even want to use the word team. They were like a family. And this coach... He treats those kids like mm-hmm. his own. I mean, he he invites them to dinners and takes care of them. I mean, we didn't leave there until I think like 11 o'clock that yeah. night. And he's hard on them, too. He is, but it's tough love. Like, that is some tough love that I used to get at home. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know. But he, and he does it with, he has a passion for it. And you can see it. And those kids also have a passion that they eat, sleep, and breathe this. I mean... No, that rodeo team at McNeese has been kicking butt and taking names for a number of years now. I mean, to say that's probably why they're so successful is because of his. Oh yeah, the way he treats them and 
yes. the passion. The tough love and yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt. I mean, he, he knows what he's doing. He's a professional rider himself who I think just said just a couple of years ago quit riding Yeah, and I himself. mean, he, so he has, knows his stuff. It runs in his, I think he said his sister's husband yeah. is a pro rodeo person. Um, mm. Like I said, you know, several of these kids have their permit card. One has their pro card. So he's he's producing mm -hmm. um and he is definitely proud of this team and that's you know when people talk about collegiate sports in louisiana you're normally hearing about lsu football or uh raging cajun baseball you don't hear about mcneese rodeo and these guys and gals are producing at a much more consistent and higher level than some of the big sports teams mm -hmm. that get all of the attention. One of the things that that you referenced the the culture or you know for me as an outsider, a non-rodeo kid, um I was just blown away. So two things I'll say, they had a ton more than just the team that were practicing to get ready for finals there. There were high schoolers there. There were junior high kids. There was an 8th grader there. And they were there to just be around it and to learn and I think they were riding some of the steers that yeah. uh, were, I mean, a step down from maybe riding some bulls. But they were practicing with the team, getting coaching from the coach that he's like, hey, not many people want to come to uh, Lake Charles to go to college that might get hit by a hurricane every year. Who knows? He said, so a lot of their kids that they're bringing into their program are homegrown. Mm. And they're kids that he's coaching from – when they're eighth graders, ninth graders, seniors in high school, they're then, you know, getting their those reps and getting that exposure. Yeah, they're hoping to be on that team one yeah. day. Yeah. That's and what they they're are. doing. Yeah. In fact, while we were there, he was coordinating with two of the seniors in high school. They gra just graduated uh, about their signing day and they're doing their signing event. There's two seniors that he was working with that night. And it's just like he's created his own kind of farm team and farm league to raise up those 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 athletes but the other thing i was going to say though that eighth grader mm -hmm. that senior his their their brothers his eighth grader and a senior who are brothers and then another i feel like another senior yes um but they walked up and they shook my hand they looked me in the eyes and then they took their hat off and and said hi ma'am and and introduced themselves to brie and i was like it, it was just it was it was yeah, so, so countercultural. But you could see the shock on his face. He was, and he kind of even made a comment. I did. He was like, "You took your hat off for her," and I was like, "Me used to." I was like, "Yeah, of oh, course." Yeah. <laughs> I was, I, I was making a joke, but like, kind of because I didn't know how to respond. I was like, "Golly, this is so cool." What I was telling Neil about that the next day, I was like, "Man," and that's something that goes beyond the rodeo ring, right? And mm -hmm. that's something I talked to the coach about. I was like, "I mean, yeah, they're learning to ride." But they're they're learning a lot about you know getting their butts up at five in the morning to go to work mm -hmm. out and get ready to ride or you know yeah. taking care of an animal staying late taking care of the animals. I mean, there's a lot of life lessons they're he learning. He was even. I mean, he tells those kids to take eight a.m. classes. He's like, "This is getting you ready for a job. You're gonna mm -hmm. have a busy life schedule. Take the eight a.m. classes. Go to five a.m. workout." I mean, he mm -hmm. had girls puking that morning <laughs> so i was like you know but truthfully it was an amazing time i truly 
That's probably a lot to do with their success, too, is that yeah. he's he's oh, yeah. not just making them successful rodeo team members there. But it also showed, I mean, there's the one girl going by herself, but all the other girls on the team still show up for her. They mm-hmm. still, they kind of, like the bull riding, they had um, middle schoolers and high schoolers coming for goat tying practice. And that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But all the girls were out there helping her, cheering her on. And and competing with her. That's yes. what he said. Yes. And, I mean, they did drills off the horse, on the horse. I mean, he he's he's a good coach. I would I would highly recommend. Well, if McNeese is the only, and that was news to me. I did not know that McNeese was the only rodeo team that we had. I guess I, guess I thought we had one at Tech, maybe. But there are, there are a lot of Louisiana kids, adults, I guess, on – on the NFR circuit yes. that compete. And so I bet he, if he's, he he's, probably has yes, something to do with a lot of those. He talked about that. And I think he has one in his vision that he thinks might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, and that's pretty cool. I mean, just seeing that, you know, being yeah. able to I, go ahead, finish being able to say. see those kids, you know, I coming from eighth grade and then mm-hmm. getting them to the NFR and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was, it was I, cool. I was very impressed, and I, I'm gonna be honest. I asked Bria, I was like, "Hey, what's our connection to agriculture outside of being animals? Like, mm-hmm. it's like it's like agriculture, but there, there's an overlap in viewership, I believe. But there's but also an interaction, values. you know. But also that it's rural values, but a lot of what they do in the rodeo ring is what you do, do. when raising animals. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly what I said. Yeah. That, and that is, and, and, I, and I get that, but I'm just like, yeah, but, but even still with that in back of my head, I'm like the roping, but let's go back. I want to do another story. I want to go shoot some more <laughs> stories. Cause it's, and, it's really addicting. It's addicting. Yeah. Welcome Mac- to it. <laughs> McNeese has such an amazing ag program too. A lot of people don't realize that they are the only USDA certified uh, slaughterhouse in the state of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So I was explaining want- to Bree that it's more than just a rodeo team there. There's a lot of yeah kids that we have come through FFA that come through here and they're like, we're going to McNeese. And yeah. I, and I'd say it's, it's interconnected. You mm-hmm. know, when you mm-hmm. have a rodeo team, you generally have a strong ag program and, you know, vice versa and that, that yeah. sort of thing because... And I wanted to say that about McNeese. I mean, most of us here have been to graduated from LSU and whatnot, but um, the small, most of us, most of us, yeah, <laughs> most he's of counting, us, he's counting. two of you who haven't. Yeah. Uh, well, go no, folks. Three, three of the three of the six of us. Two of us have. Two of us went to LSU. Oh, okay. Chandler. Well, yeah, Chandler. Oh yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> three. Right. Half. Okay. Right. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, the the well, point being is that. When you have smaller colleges like McNeese, what you do have is, and you can back me up going to ULL, you have more professors, more staff from that area. And as such, they tend to care a lot about it because Mm -hmm. the kids that they're teaching are from that community and they see the direct effect it has. And it's not that LSU doesn't care. It's just that they're involved in much bigger projects. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the LSU Ag Center, for instance, has stations all across the state, so they're managing all of that. But... And you um, saw that when you went to La Tech. You went to La Tech for your undergrad, and I then did. you went to LSU for your master's. Absolutely, so. and and you know a plug for them as well. 
McNeese is a good school, not just for a, a small college, not just for a regional area, not just for a place that's gotten hit by Lake Charles, but it's a great institution. Mm-hmm. Greg Fox upstairs in our marketing department is a graduate of McNeese and raves about their the education that he got there because he got that one-on-one personal touch. And one of the the guys is actually going for civil engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So, I mean, they they have a wide variety of grads in, in in my ignorance i was like hey i know you're not majoring in rodeo are you get well are you getting degrees are y'all getting degrees for day jobs or is that your, your i bet they had a field day with you they did, <laughs> they did. it was they did. listen i enjoyed i think that's why i enjoyed this trip so much i don't know i think i don't i, I think i would give my 401k to see maybe neil and neil me. and you both on a horse again like a saddle bronc competition hey. Listen, would we probably, can put them on a steer. We'll put them on a steer. If we do reporting for duty again, that would... That, they would probably welcome you. that. Me yes. versus you. Oh, they, I mean, they, they would probably they eat that They were trying up. to get him on it a couple of times. <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh. That would be good I'd TV. I'd, I'd, I, I mean, I'd go fun. back. Um, field trip. <laughs> field trip. Let's go. Uh, but no, I did ask. I was like, so what are y'all... Not so much like, what's going to be your day you majoring job? majoring in rodeo? Well, I didn't say, are you majoring in rodeo? But I was like, what are y'all, what are y'all focused on? No, I said, I know they can't be majoring ro- rodeo. Anyways, we'll look at the tape. <laughs> but one of them said civil engineering. I was just like, so not only are you a tough son of a gun that can get on this, but you're also, they're, they're also smart guys. I was going to say, you're are, a smart son of a gun because you know that rodeo is probably not going to be your career. Well, I didn't. I wasn't saying that because a lot of these guys very well m- may be making careers in in rodeo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but a backup plan's always nice. Yeah. I was just I was very impressed with it, and we can talk about my it all day. Would but say so. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do rodeo, but my grandfather was a huge rodeo fan, and he would watch mm-hmm. it on the weekends and um, just laugh <laughs> at some of the hijinks. But I mean, it's those those guys are seriously tough. You know, oh. the guys and gals. Are, I did are, mention it's like y'all. The, my tough. only my only exposure to rodeo was the weekend rodeo we had in Winsboro, and like half of the team was like, mm. "Oh, we were there last weekend riding." But y'all <laughs> had a horse. big um, the Demoss brothers. No, uh, oh, what's his name? Buckshot. He's yeah. from Winsboro, Buckshot's right? From Winsboro, and, and his and kid, his son. And, the blaze yeah and the coach knew coach knew buckshot also i was like yeah the guy that is my dad's crop consultant is uh yes. was really involved in rodeo and he's like buckshot yep okay i think he's everybody like, in the state knows buckshot, knows yeah. buckshot. but yeah that, that but i told him that was my only connection and they're like oh yeah we rode that last weekend like, of course you did of course you did there's yeah there's a lot of kids from winsboro that uh rode or when i was in school that rodeoed yeah but I, I was not one of those that came out rodeoing. No. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> well, me neither. But anyway, um, let's move on. Uh, Avery had to step downstairs. We're having some retirements here at Farm Bureau upstairs in our accounting. But he jumped in this week and took your job away from you, Kristen, on feasting on agriculture. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not complaining. I do wish that I'd had sampled you, some you of those. You should be complaining because I was there and the food. I'm just saying... I don't know how you go to all of these and well, not Well, it sounds like eat. y'all got several dishes. We got we had three dishes. Y'all didn't bring us back. We didn't any? bring anything back. We were the worst. What was the ingredient of the week? We'll do not. The ingredient <laughs> sweet potatoes. So, when you think sweet potatoes, you're like, "Oh, okay, we're going to do some like candied yams or you know, right, sweet potatoes sweet potato like potato casserole yeah. or something." Yeah. No. 
I had never in my mind imagined uh, the way that he would use these. So he like for two of the dishes, all three of the dishes, it was mashed sweet potatoes, but he would use it in his biscuits. He would use it. Um, wow. And Avery mm. can explain more, but oh my like, gosh. Did it have a sweet, the, the biscuits have a sweet potato taste? Was it yes. like, instead of the dough? But was or it good? Yeah. Like, was it more of a sweeter taste it or was, was it just so, kind of like? It was not too sweet. Mm-hmm. That's what, it was like the perfect amount of sweetness. Avery is a biscuit. Y'all talked about it on set, but he's all about his biscuits and really scientific about it. And he kind of got his hands on and uh, Chef was just like, here, no, just that, that's about enough. Go ahead and do that. And they're drop <laughs> biscuits. The yeah. Drop biscuits is the style biscuit. Mm-hmm. But oh my gosh, they were incredible. And then he also did some like, took that same mashed sweet potato, mixed in some pecans mm-hmm. and um, made what we kind of decided were a mix between beignets and hush puppies. Wow. Oh, I mean, that's, it was amazing. It was like sweeter. It was like a sweeter but deep deep fried um but not like not salty. I not guess salty. when you said sweet potatoes, I'm thinking salty. Kind of I like mean, a uh, sweet hush puppy. Hush puppies, I'm thinking salty. Wow. Yeah. It was it was an interesting but then he so it had a little bit more of it not super, super sweet, mm-hmm. but it was drizzled with some uh powdered sugar. Mm. Ooh. Well you had it was incredible. Fried, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. They were incredible. And then the third thing we did were empanadas mm-hmm. with Wow. The mashed sweet potatoes and some freshly, uh, like, cooked up uh, tasso. So, like, diced up. And then, so that was all mixed together, put inside some fresh pie crust kind of dough. Right. Deep fried. I don't know why I was thinking not. What are the the fried bananas that that they serve it? That's what I was thinking, where I thought you were going and I was going. No, inside Tasso? like a meat pie kind of. Right. Yeah. And he drizzled that with some blackberry preserves. Oh my I oh gosh. Oh my Y'all, I probably ate a dozen of those biscuits. Which granted, <laughs> they were like they were like two bite biscuits. Yeah. But still I still had way too many. Oh, the other thing, I didn't even mention this. Did you shove some in your purse and bring them back? I did not shove any in my purse, but he did <laughs> offer some. Uh and I was like, I can't. Not what you bought us some, because now I'm sitting here mm, hangry. We yeah. should not yes. have done this before. I'm really hangry. sorry. But, y'all, <laughs> it was here. incredible. And I was just thinking, that, like, multiple times I was thinking, it's a really good thing I don't go with Kristen to shoot all of these, because... Because we'd be a No, but Kristen, pounds, anytime, um, I will gladly volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> um, The thing I didn't mention, sorry to cut you off, the thing I didn't mention about the biscuits, very light drizzle with some steam syrup. Mm. Ooh. over like the the batch of four or six that he puts out there just a very light drizzle it was at cafe josephine which i would have never heard of had i not done this story but it's in sunset louisiana just just north of lafayette so how far is that is that like a day trip that i can make that's yeah. definitely a, a dinner worthy boy louisiana steam syrup on louisiana sweet potato dish I it mean, was yeah, it's just hardcore it was incredible and i was just and it, we, all, we got there like 8.30 in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning to go, like, get after it. And I was just like, he had biscuits there waiting on us. Oh, my God. When we showed up. And I was just like, oh, man. Hospitality to boot. Oh, 
Yeah, it was incredible. It was Speaking incredible. Speaking of eating our hearts out, we're going to be doing some of that in a month from now at uh, the hundredth anniversary of the Louisiana Farm Bureau con- uh, convention. We are. Uh- we're having that in New Orleans, Louisiana, and we we eat pretty well usually. That time. It's been two years since we've been to New Orleans for yeah. convention, so it's. Uh, I'm hoping that I will definitely be done with my diet by then, mm-hmm. at least for a week. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's done whether yeah. you like it or not. Yeah, but I'm thinking like you know, there's so many places that we haven't gotten to eat for the last mm-hmm. two years, and it's just like, man, where? How do we? But yeah, we're having convention again. And I'm really excited about it. Um, I know it's for anyone that doesn't know outside of our TV show, we also help, you know, produce media for that convention. We right. help plan and run schedules. We help run cameras and put on the actual night events. Um, Kristen is usually editing herself crazy on a couple of videos for the, for the special night events. Um, so we, we do a lot of work outside of Twyla specifically on that. Um, so and it's not just we don't just right. go there to eat. And just so anyone knows, we've <laughs> been doing wondering. work on it here for um, for months. Very busy. We've had uh, we've put a book together that will be for sale, commemorating a hundred years. Um, Avery Davidson and Monica have been working on that as well as myself. I've written a, a good bit of it. Um, that's one of the things. There's going to be a special event Friday night, Saturday night. Um, a party, a band. We're gonna do be doing all kinds of things. We'll have the full schedule on our website yeah. where you can. For anyone listening that is coming to convention or is wanting to come to convention, make plans Friday night. There's gonna be a live band, big heavy hors d'oeuvres, just mm-hmm. all the the Farm Bureau family will be together, and it right. should be. And we're a, gonna have our own room. It's not. We're gonna yeah. do the thing in the lobby. Yeah. We're also gonna have our, our own. This will room. be in our own ballroom. Yeah. It will be a Farm Bureau party um so it's going to be are really eager to get back together yeah. i've noticed that in some of the rice meetings and things like that that have gone mm-hmm. on people are really ready to get back together so i think we're gonna it's gonna be a blowout it should be a yeah. good time be it's gonna there. be cool so uh there'll be tables and every i mean we're, we're we're wanting all the parishes to to come and be represented i know it's typically friday night's typically a night that a lot of parishes try to get together and go to dinner so if you are doing that it's from eight to midnight you can your dinner shouldn't last that long, so you can still make it by and still come and enjoy uh, the celebration. So it's going to be a big deal. And then Friday, that's Friday night and Saturday night. We'll have uh, a DJ in the lobby. We'll have drink and food specials and stuff like that. So we've done that for the last few years. Mm-hmm. So if you're familiar with, if you remember that from past conventions, that that will be happening on Saturday night. Yeah, should so, be a good time. I've been around for a quarter of that history. That's crazy, Neil. You're just really. You know that gray is getting stronger and stronger in your wow. yeah How do you in feel? your beard. <laughs> Old. You, feel, you feel like it? You feel like you've been here for a quarter of it? It it's it. Uh, no, I don't. But then memories will pop up and things will be. You know, we were talking about Francis Thompson earlier, and he was. I interviewed him when I first got here, and so it's just amazing that he's still around and has been around since you know the year I was born, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's things like that, that pop up, you know, when, when we were talking about going to Fort Polk 12 years ago, that's, that just seems like yesterday, and, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's things like that. Well, since you've been around for 25 of them, mm-hmm. more or less, what's your favorite part of convention? What do you look forward to at convention? I really enjoy, I mean, if there is uh, those two things, one is the, the food, of course, young farmer and ranchers usually put on a hospitality room. 
and they usually do an alligator sauce pecan. Mm. And so you're eating that and you're talking with the 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 folks there and they're just so excited and happy to be there. When I first got here, young farmers and ranchers was kind of dying. I mean, there were there were fewer members. They were struggling with membership. And then like 10 years in, there was just this resurgence. And I've seen that. I mean, it, of course, has waxed and waned, but we're still on the up, really, you know, trend-wise. There's more young people coming into it, and they're, they're really passionate about what they do and getting to talk to them. And building on that, getting to go to the commodity conferences and talk to some of the people who are the most influential in their field and, and really get to see, I mean, you, if you listen to them, you really get a good picture of A, what's going on in the state and B, where it's going, you know, where, where some of these commodity things are and good or bad, being informed about that stuff, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Well, I ask you this because... Chandler and Brianne are right. both coming to their first Louisiana. Chandler, you've never been to a Louisiana Farm Bureau convention, correct? I'm never sure done. you've been to a Mississippi one, though. No, no Mississippi. No Farm Mississippi Bureau. either. Nope. Just so, the All Star and the the Roundtable got you. for me. Yeah. So this will be their first convention. So right. I'm trying to give them a little taste of what to expect. Kristen, what's your what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite part about convention? I was going to give them some advice to um, don't eat the whole week before so that you have yes. room for the my very first convention I know I will never forget it was after the third night maybe mm -hmm. I think I was hanging my head in the toilet just because I had eaten so much rich food and it's not yeah. just it's you don't just eat one yeah. it's not just the like the the entree it's right. the dessert and the appetizer and so it's a lot of eating. Yes, and it's a lot. You have it's to like, lot, you need to condition yourself the week right. before. <laughs> well, I guess from Kristen, your dad's been around and he's been a farm bureau member since he was young. Is that right? Uh, well, since he, yes, since he started uh, growing poultry. Yeah. But um, I did, I actually did not go to, I'd been to one convention where I met Mike mm -hmm. the summer that I graduated college. Right. But yeah, I, I was not in the, convention we didn't go to convention every year right. like a lot of people yeah. like, like me yeah that like, was my summer vacation growing up as a kid was coming to new orleans for ours were cow shows livestock shows that was the that was the weekend that dad just kind of said well i'm gonna get some help irrigating the crops and we're going to new orleans the convention and honestly playing on that that's kind of what i love about it i mean one i get to see my family but i get to kind of reconnect with people I've been at convention with for, you know, most half of probably half of my life. Um, when you came to work here after going to the convention as a kid and doing all the fun stuff, did it seem like you got to open the back door to see what the, you know, the in, inside was like? You know, we've probably talked about this on the show before. My dad and Mike Dan were really good friends. Right. They were really close. So I got to kind of come into the balconies with dad from mm -hmm. time to time and see kind of the the work rooms and uh and so i really wasn't that surprised by that i was what i was the real shift for me was not having the flexibility or the energy to go uh go hang out with everybody all night you know in some hospitality room or whatnot but after dinner usually i'm just like spent and yeah. you're going all day so that realization of like or, or friends like, hey, let's go to dinner. I'm like, I've got to wrap this up. I've got to work this camera. I've got to you know do this event or I've got to go. Uh, I can't go to lunch today because I'm being at these commodity conferences and things like that. That was the biggest shot for me 
um, I think it was the year I interned was also the year my, my little sister was in the Queens competition and there were family here like crazy and Mm -hmm. like everybody was here in town and they wanted to go to dinner. And I was just like, I think I did make dinner, but I remember it just being a thing. It's like, okay, I'll see y'all after Queens is over and I can actually like clock out quote unquote. Right. Yeah. Um, Which is nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'll see y'all at dinner. Y'all save me a seat and I'll catch up with y'all. But that's, that was the biggest shift for me was like, I've got now responsibilities that I've got to do. Um, Which is great. And that's the experience that many people who go to that convention have. And it's such a family mm -hmm. atmosphere and event that, you know, people are going to these conferences and contests as together. And, and there are, you know, there's all kinds of different activities, but there's a lot to offer everybody. Right. Yeah. That's one of the things that I think probably the first year, one of the first years I got on, I was on staff here. It was, they had either just introduced a new exhibit at the world war two museum yeah. and mom went and spent the entire mom and my older sister were in town for convention. They went and spent like an entire day there. You can easily. And, do it. and I was like, and they were telling me all about it. And I was just like, that would have been so much fun to go to, Yeah, which is the kind of things we did. Right. We didn't always just do the farm bureau things. Of course, yeah, there's we would go down there. to cafe du Monde and go walk the French right. quarter and things like that. And, that that just doesn't happen when you're working when you're working on the work side of convention. So for those, especially for you two, Chandler and Bree, World War II Museum. I've been we've been to Washington D.C. There's the Smithsonian Institute. World War II Museum is world class. It's it's along those Smithsonian lines, and if you get a chance to go, you should definitely go. Just yeah. not during convention. I was we have say, a lot of work to do. probably won't. So <laughs> yeah. maybe stay a day later and you can right. go. On your own time. I'm just right. <laughs> kidding. I'm excited about convention. It's been two years, and I'm ready to get back yeah. to, to seeing everybody in the same room together kind of again. It's, so. it's weird because that's one of the things that you were asking me how I feel about doing it for that long. One of the big things was is that every year, like clockwork, for the last 20-something years, that was you do it. And then not going for two years was like, like you know, it's that homing instinct, I guess, like mm-hmm. a bird going south for the winter. It just it wasn't there. We didn't do it. The first know? year we did it, we that we did it virtual. Mm-hmm. We did convention like in a single day, and I was yeah. sitting. My internet was down at my house. I went to a coffee shop, and I was sitting there, kind of helping play videos and right. do that kind of stuff from a coffee shop in Baton Rouge yeah. on Zoom, and I right. was just like, "This feels so wrong." Yeah. It did. And it was over so quickly. Yeah. I mean, and and you're not running around doing all the prep work that we had to do for for that and not. And so it was just strange. But I'm I'm glad we'll be down there busy as it is. We'll be back to normal there. And actually segueing away from convention, we're fixing to to be in a very not normal season of Twyla. Right. For all the viewers, this week's show was our last one that we did that we're going to have on that set that you've seen us on for the last 40 14, years. well, 40 years right. in that room, but 14 years you've seen the same looking set outside of maybe a convention show or a, a hurricane themed show. We've been on that set. We've been in that room for That's 40 right. years since Reginald Wallace took the air back in the 80s. In front of a blank wall. Blank wall, yeah. sitting in a chair with some scripts in his hand. That's the room. We've been in that same room since then. So, a lot of history in this, uh, this episode. Yeah. We have yeah. covered some history, but 
the end of an era is what I kind of think we, we kind of jokingly said, but it is, but the new set looks amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. We're kind of going a little bit more, uh, I don't know. What would you call the new set design? It's going to, it's not going to be as, uh, branded as the set right now. It has this week in Louisiana agriculture written all over it. Well, it looks set. a lot like some of the modern sets you see on some talk shows, yeah. some, you know, um, uh, after shows or even podcasts that do a visual component. To yeah. It. it looks more like that digital, I guess. Yeah. Word a lot more. Uh, we're going to have a lot more screen uh, usage in the next space that will be able to change kind of the branding, uh, depending on if we're doing um, Twyla or we're doing other special projects or we do like the, the FFA takeover type shows. We'll have. The ability to really change the look of the entire set with a couple of light changes and changing the graphics up. So it's going to be really a cool, it's going to be very different feeling. But uh, I'm really excited about it. I've been, we've kind of, while Neil and Kristen and Avery and Monica have been working hard on convention stuff, I've been trying to help schedule like delivery of all of our uh, lighting and stuff and and new equipment and booking that to be put into the new place and part of that has been the design phase of yeah. of the set which has been it's just such a commitment <laughs> right. i was kind of joking with it's a uh, it's a lot it's a big project like, oh, gosh. we're going to be updating you on social media and that sort of thing as time goes on and we'll ho- hopefully have a sneak preview of the studio in the not too distant future hope so i think i think it's i think it's pretty much locked in or we're close to locked in so yeah. but you'll still see us we'll still Stay be putting tuned. shows out yeah. we're going to do one from convention as always right. we'll do another one uh, in a week or so after uh, ahead of convention, right. where we'll introduce the three finalists yep. for the Young Farmers and Ranchers Achievement Award. Uh, and we'll do a couple of shows probably after convention from, you or, know, or somewhere, yeah. <laughs> somewhere yep. that uh, we'll keep the we'll keep the, the farm news coming to you. But we'll it, be in a new set soon. It'll be a blank wall and a chair at our house. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something to clear out the studio and just, yeah, just put a couple of lights right up there. and. That's a good idea. Avery with a plug-in microphone. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, y'all, we'll um, uh, we're gonna wrap it up here. I want to thank Avery Davidson, Kristen Oates White, Carl Wiggers, Brian Hendrickson, and Chandler Hegwood. Right. Good. Got his name correct this time. All right. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. If you can, subscribe to us on your favorite place to get podcasts. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and let us know what you think about the show. Reviews are great, but sharing is how you show that you're caring. So bring (laughs) your mother in, bring your sister in, share this podcast with them, let them know that you enjoy listening to the Twyla After Show. And don't forget this podcast is produced by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. 